morning. Guys, good to see you. I, uh, I want to take another stab at something this Sunday. And um, what I want to take a stab at is just a, a basic idea that I think is, again, true to all humanity, every one of us here, um, that all of us want to be happy. I, I would go so far to say that, that happiness is the, the, the pervading philosophy and underpinning driving motive of most of what we see um, in the world today and in our lives today, and, and that all of Western like, philosophy and thought at some level seems to be driven by this, this idea of, of personal Happiness. When you look at Eastern philosophies, you might see something different. It might be something more like right order or, or balance. But I think here, especially in the West and in Westernized places, it's, it's happiness that undergirds everything. And, and if you go with that, I mean, you, you could see it start to pop up everywhere. I mean, let, let's start just by looking at kind of like the manifesto of, of, of Western thought. You finish this quote. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and an unalienable right, an endowed gift by the creator. And smack dab center of everything that's affected Western thought is this idea of the pursuit of happiness. So it should be no mistake or no surprise that the pursuit of happiness seems all around us, people are clamoring and chasing after ways to be happy, right? Get this and be happy. Buy that and be happy. Look like this and be happy. Marry her and be happy. Get fit and be happy. Realize your potential and be happy. Billions and billions spent on learning how to be happy. And when that doesn't work, here's some drugs to seal the deal. The pursuit of happiness is everywhere. And despite the fact that so many people have what you would call perfect homes and perfect bodies and perfect families and perfect cars, my sense is just simply that most people really aren't happy. Now, Jesus talks a lot about happiness, too, and it should be no surprise that when Jesus talks about being happy, his way of being happy is something different. And I want to talk to you about that today. What, 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 what happiness means in Jesus' point of view, how to be happy according to Jesus. Now, in Jesus' epic manifesto called the Sermon on the Mount, it says that he sees the crowds, and so he goes up on a mountainside, and he sits down, and it says his disciples come to him, and he begins to teach them, and he begins to teach them starting this way. I'm going to show you a word here today. Makarioi. Makarioi are the poor in spirit, he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Makarioi are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Makarioi are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Makarioi are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
for they will be filled. He goes on, he says, Makarioi are the merciful. They will be shown mercy. Makarioi are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Makarioi are, are the peacemakers, for, for they will be called sons of God. Makarioi are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he caps and he says, Makarioi are you. Are you when, when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things about you because of me. When that happens, rejoice, be glad. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Makarioi, Makaria. Now, those of you who are familiar with what I'm saying right here, I bet that you went into a certain method of autopilot and started translating out this word that Jesus says to something like this, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, and blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You did this, didn't you? Those of you who know the story, and I bet that some of you who are looking at Matthew chapter 5, or those of you who have read it in the New Testament before, particularly in, 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 in the popular translations of the day, you've seen it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. And of course, when I say the word blessed, I bet that that conjures something up into mind right now too. Honestly, when you hear the word blessed, don't you get like a picture of like the icons of Catholic saints and like the stained glass windows and in the statuary and you're like, these are the people who are blessed, right? And yet, have you ever seen one of those people look happy? But it's fascinating to me that this word that gets translated blessed and often rightly so is the same word that often means happy. Hear it that way. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Happy are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And let's go on. Happy are the merciful. Happy are the pure in heart. Happy are the peacemakers. Happy are the persecuted. Happy are you. It's completely backwards, isn't it? When Jesus talks about this thing that we want so desperately, this thing we call happiness for him, it seems like it's all turned on its head. It's backwards. And I want to talk to you about that today. I want to talk to you about this this manifesto of Jesus, of what it means to be happy. Some observations. And if you want to cross-reference these as I talk about them, I'm not going to put them on the screen. We're just going to look at makarioi and let it soak today. But you can find this in Matthew 5. Don't take my word for it. Let Jesus speak for himself. But some observations as we talk about this today. First, it strikes me that, that what Jesus does is he lists what we would consider the absolute worst states of being. Right? When he talks about those who are happy, he like almost, I feel like intentionally dredges up like the absolute worst states of being we can find ourselves 
in. Think about this. How does he lead it? Happy are those who are good, who have internal quality, who have value and something of substance to offer God. That's not what he says. What's he say? Happy are those who are broke in spirit, poor in spirit, bankrupt of souls. Those who aren't good. Those who have no internal quality. Those who have no substance inside or thing of value. Happy are those, happy are those who are in that state. It's like happy are those whose anthem is like, remember that like Beck song, I'm a loser baby? So, so why don't you kill me, right? It's like Jesus is saying happy are those. It's completely flipped. And it said, happy are those who mourn. Not happy are those who are celebrating. Not happy are those who are rejoicing. Not happy are those who are in a state where, where good things have happened and, and, and achievements have been hit. Happy are those who, who are graduating or at birthday parties or got new jobs or hit 50-year anniversaries. No, 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 no. Happy are those who go home and weep at night. Happy are those who climb into a bed where the other half is no longer filled. Happy are those who go to the cemetery. Happy are those who stand by the coffin. It makes no sense sense. It's like he dredges up the worst states of being. Happy are the meek, the weak and the wimps, the bullied and the harassed, those who are picked last at dodgeball and always play third string. Happy are those not who are strong, not who are able, not who are elevated. No, no, no. Happy are the opposite. It makes no sense. And even the last half, which doesn't seem to make as much apparent sense, still, if you think about it, is like the worst states of being. Happy are the merciful. Well, that sounds good, right? Until you have to show mercy. Because mercy, a lot like forgiveness, will cost you. And every time you grant it, and every time you offer it, a little part of you has to die. You sacrifice yourself and take a chip out of your own body and your own soul for the sake of someone who doesn't deserve it. Happy are the pure in heart, the naive, those who are innocent and eaten alive in this world. We can spiritualize it all you want. It's not a good state of being. And what about the peacemakers, those who aren't victorious? Those who have not conquered or overcome? No, those who have had to settle for peace, to compromise. Happy are those who find themselves in that place instead. And so when we see Jesus talk about those who are happy... It's like everything is flipped on his head. He intentionally takes what we would think of as the worst possible states of being and positions in life that we can find ourselves in. Now, I think a second observation is kind of in order. And it's also that these are not actually observations of life that Jesus is making. And anyone who's willing to kind of come, I think, to the text honestly with a modicum of common sense doesn't need to be told that. But Christians, we do. These are not observations of life. If they were, I mean, Jesus would just be wrong. 
oftentimes those who mourn aren't comforted. And oftentimes those who are meek don't inherit the earth. And those who seek justice often don't see it, but suffer at the hands of something. And said, no, he's not giving observations of life as it is. Jesus is doing something very different. He's setting up an alternate reality. He is positing a different way to look at the world than as it actually is. And with that, I think it's important to throw this third observation out as well, that Jesus isn't talking to everyone. How does it start? It says that when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. But the ones who came to him were his disciples, and he began to teach them, saying, Makarioi. Now, Jesus isn't talking to everyone here as though this is some universal claim or state of being. He's talking to a very specific group. Instead, he's talking to those who the New Testament like to call disciple, those who I think by easiest definition are simply those who want to be like him. Those who follow Jesus, not just to get some nuggets and not just to get some miracles, but those who want to be like him. And it's to them that he gives this alternate way of thinking. It's to them that he gives this alternate reality. Now, the final thing is that As Jesus is saying this, it's also not just good advice. It's a proclamation. It's a declaration. Can I use that word? He is declaring what is to be. Not just ruminating on what is. See, what Jesus is talking about is is how life is transformed and how reality becomes different for those who are part of him, for those who who are seeking to be like him, for those who are in his kingdom. Now, Jesus isn't declaring here a state of being for all that is. He's declaring what will be in him. That even those who find themselves in the worst state of being, that in him, even them will be happy. And by declaring it, he's breaking it in. Telling them what will be, but that what will be is starting to break into what is for those who follow him. Now, I think there's some mistakes that people make when they dive into this too. Some people I've met who try to take Jesus' manifesto for what it means to be happy so seriously have made the mistake of making it, shall I use the word, absolute. Let me explain what I mean. That if I want to be happy, I better stop laughing And I better kind of dig up every sad emotion and feeling within me. I better get sad. Oh man, if if I want to be Makarioi, I better deny every good thing God is actually doing in me. 
and pretend it doesn't exist couched in some kind of false facade humility. Because i got to be bankrupt of soul and poor in spirit to be happy in him. This is not what Jesus is saying. And it would go contrary to so many other things the Bible talks about. As though when you come to Jesus, you start experiencing the fruit of the spirit. Things like love and joy. Things like peace and kindness and self-control. It would go contrary to what the scriptures say about the the spirit of power that enlivens us and, and transforms us. These are not to be taken as absolute states. Nor are they to be taken as something to achieve. As though these are the marks Jesus is setting out for me. And if I just work hard enough to be sad, if I just work hard enough to be merciful, if I can just make myself feel hungry enough or seek out some persecution, we're good. No, Jesus is not laying out some set of commands here to be achieved. He's saying something so much more powerful and good instead. He's declaring a state for those who already are broken and mourning and meek and hungry. He's speaking to those who are in the worst possible state and speaking into them what becomes the sweetest gospel of all, that you, even you, are happy, can be happy. That you, even you, when, when everything else seems to indicate the contrary, can have an alternate reality in me. Because through it all, what you see is that for Jesus, as noble as a thing, as happiness is, and as noble a pursuit as happiness might be, it is not the highest end. And it is not the greatest cause. It's fascinating that even though Jesus talks so much about happiness in this manifesto, it's really not about happiness at all. It's about something different. It's about something more. About something more that when you have it can lead you to happiness even when you find yourselves broken, mourning, and persecuted. And the thing that's more for Jesus and that you see throughout his manifesto always has been and always will be him. What it's really about is him. The pursuit of him. The highest end is him. The highest goal being him. And the funny thing is that when that becomes what the pursuit is, happiness is often thrown in as well. Have you noticed this? That those who pursue happiness rarely find it. But those who pursue other things, happiness often comes their way. Happiness is a lot like love, isn't it? 
When you make pursuing love what it's all about, you often don't find it. But when you pursue other things, love often comes in as a result. You know what? They have a word for those who pursue love as their direct goal. Do you know what it is? Stalker. (laughs) Or maybe less extreme. Cloying. Inappropriate. Desperate. Those who pursue happiness often don't find it. But Jesus says, those who pursue me and my kingdom, it's often thrown into boot. Pursue happiness. Good luck. Enjoy it while it lasts until brokenness and mourning and meekness and powerless and persecution come your way. But pursue me as what it's all about and happiness will often be thrown in to boot because for Jesus happiness is not an end it's a fringe benefit of what it means to be in him and make no mistake what he does not say is that those who are in him will always be happy now. No, far from it. Did you notice how future-oriented his manifesto happened to be? Did you catch the words when I said it, or did you read them for yourself? Makarioi are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, but makarii are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Makarioi are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Makarioi are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. No, for Jesus, it's something future. The results are something future. But that still doesn't mean there isn't happiness now. Because in Jesus, what is future starts to break in. And when you come to find yourself in Jesus, and you come to realize that in him, the most awful powers of this world stand fundamentally powerless, that the worst that the world can throw at you, death and loss, that leads to mourning, forced humbleness or persecution that leads to meekness. Wound and sin against you that leads to mercy. A transformed newness of heart and purity that often leads to being victimized and taken advantage of by those around. When you start to realize that the greatest weapons of this world don't have the power to overcome him, you realize they got no power over you. That even when I mourn, I can still be happy because there's a joy and a hope that I have in him. That even when I am brought to the dirt, I can still be happy. Not because the results are mine now, but because there's a hope in him that all things will be set right someday. That even when I realize I am without 
right now. He's given me a hope that someday I'll be filled. And Jesus seems to indicate that if we keep our eyes fixed on that, on him, and what his kingdom will bring. Happiness can be a reality right now. No matter what the world seems to bring. And so Jesus invites people. People who have nothing to offer. People with no intrinsic goodness or quality. He invites people, people who are broken and who mourn, people who are nothing in the world's eyes, people who are so hungry for something different but just don't have it, people who have been wronged and persecuted. Jesus invites people like that into a different kind of reality. A different way of approaching life and thinking about life and doing life. He invites them to find their highest goal, their highest purpose, and their highest cause in him. And discover what that kind of reality will bring. He invites you to try it and to see what actually happens in his kingdom. Jesus' way is different. And that's how he says to be happy. So I'm going to invite the band to come back forward. And as they start to plug in and sound check and tune, maybe we can just take a couple of minutes. We can just write in our seats. Just give, give, give a moment of thought right now. A little bit of reflection. And what ways aren't you happy? today wherever you find yourself broken mourning powerless sinned against hurt made fun of abused persecuted empty on the inside with what can only be described as a hunger and a thirst that's unsatisfied. Why aren't you happy today? We're just going to spend a couple minutes here. We're going to give you a little kind of space for this, some quiet time, if you will, just to come to God in that place. Just tell him about that stuff, okay? Tell them about it. 
talk to him a little bit about why you think it's the case. Ask him about his kingdom and what he's offering in its place. Meet him in that place today.